I'm Phil DeLuca. I am Sean Watson. And I'm Shivam Putt. And we are Commander in. No laugh. It's all gone. The laughter's dead. Here is some music. <laughs> <laughs> Mandarin. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've Tears discovered all new games in this recording. Um, we put a spotlight on community issues, but never, ever talk about three banned topics. Religion, politics, and Hearthstone. Guys, you're going to have to remember that. <clears throat> if uh, My sweet new warlock build. <laughs> if you want to support us one of the best ways to do that is to give us a five star rating wherever it is you get your podcast you can also tell your friends all about it and hopefully you've been doing that all of this time and of course the ultimate way to support the show is to visit patreon.com slash commander and mtg and donate a buck a show or more as our guest did now listeners we have already done new commander players part one Guess what this episode is? <laughs> <laughs> it's New Commander Players Part 2. So this is advice and tips we give to new players. And the topic was selected by our super patron, David Mitchell. Yay. So welcome back, David. Hello, everybody. Oh, he's so professional. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as if you have been a professional on stage before. Uh, actually, not on stage, close-up parlor, walk-around restaurants, that kind of thing. But I understand That's what right. you're saying. Yes. Oh, you're that guy. Yeah. He's a hero of stage and screen. You've seen him on every kind of filmography there ever was. <laughs> you know, that started better in my head, and then it just went, and the train did not Dave, stop. David, have you ever um, used your powers for evil? shoplifting that sort of thing <laughs> no no uh I've, I've played tricks on on some friends by putting things into their pockets oh that's clever um and and i actually i almost got arrested once doing a uh, a card trick to a police officer he didn't take too kindly to me putting his card in his back pocket oh my god yeah so <laughs> it, it, it could have gone it could have gone wrong in, in quite a few ways in this um post Weinstein age you should be careful doing that kind of magic sir this was a few years ago but yeah yeah we don't touch people anymore (laughs) (laughs) after the court injunction (laughs) Jesus Uh, well hopefully um, just just stay safe David stay safe thanks so we like to write you if you're a it's only the Canadian police, so they'll just apologize to him anyway. If if David's a person who does like card tricks and sleight of hand, have you has that helped you at all in playing magic? As in, like, I know that you're probably not the type of guy to cheat because you're Canadian, but uh, have you ever seen people or been able to catch people trying to do shifty things at the top of the deck? Uh, interestingly enough, yes. Uh, I remember playing one of, one of my few standard FNMs. 
uh, I noticed my opponent was kind of shuffling weird. Uh, and there's there's ways you can there's a lot of ways you can stack the deck. Uh, oh yeah. But the way he was doing it was fairly obvious. Um, so I, I wasn't sure the first time I saw him do it, but I was positive the second time. And so as a way of getting back at him, uh, he, he shuffled his, uh, I don't recall what he shuffled to the top, but all he got when I shuffled his deck for him was about 10 lands. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, an important rule for new players there actually is before the game begins and at any point a deck has to be shuffled, you are allowed to be the last person who shuffles your opponent's deck. Yeah, if I, you're I, playing, he gave me the evil cool. eye when I did it the second time because he knew exactly he was cut and he couldn't say a thing. Yeah. Oh, I caught someone um, mana weaving once uh, before a game uh, against me when I was is in Theros block, so a while ago now. And I I know how... He clearly only just learned how to mana weave, been watching the YouTube videos on it. And I know how to undo it, so I undid his mana weave. Um, and he said, Ryan, I'm going to shuffle it. I was like, no, no, no. You're not going to shuffle it again. If you want to shuffle it again, we'll call the judge. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he drew his nothing but a pile of land. Oh, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so new players, we don't recommend that you learn how to stack a deck or mana weave or anything like that. <laughs> um, but do understand that you have the ability to shuffle your deck, um, shuffle your opponent's deck whenever it needs to be shuffled, just as Sean said. And if you're in any kind of a tournament, any kind of event, you can ask the judge to come over and supervise, or I think you can even ask the judge to shuffle. Is that right? Yes. You can, yes. If you suspect anything is amiss, make sure that you pull a judge over. Now, we did cover new player advice in our last show, um, other than the preview card, of course. And uh, we wanted to talk, we talked about the differences between uh, the different types of EDH. And we did talk a little bit about deck commander selection. So today we're going to start with deck building. Hmm. It's a good topic. Who wants to tee up the building your deck portion of the show? I'll take this. So. A good thing to do when building a deck is pick your commander and then build a deck that synergizes with your commander's ability. So a good example would be if you have a commander that cares about plus one, plus one counters like Dagatar, for example. (laughs) Put other cards into your deck that care about plus one, plus one counters like things with the bolster mechanic from Khan's block, that sort of thing. If you have a deck that cares about life gain, like Ailey, you put in stuff that manipulates life totals or uses life totals to your advantage. And you will find your first decks, if they build around what the commander does, you'll have a clear understanding of what you're trying to achieve. Anyone else got thoughts on that? That's a very good idea, but it doesn't necessarily even have to be building around your commander. It could be building around whatever your theme or your card, like any particular card that you're trying to build around. But a commander is a good stand-in, especially for a new deck. Like my first commander deck, I built around the card um, Kijeldran Outpost, which was a soldier token making deck. So a soldier token making card. So every card I put in there was aimed at making either soldier tribal or tokens better. And similarly, when you're trying to build a deck that has a very clear theme, 
the first time around you should try to get as many cool cards that fit that theme as possible before you try to get uh, clever and adding more sub themes <laughs> to it. It's also very good when you're building your deck to try to make sure you have some redundant effects in there. Like you want to have, for instance, if you're building a deck that's got white in it, you want to have your path to exile to remove whatever their one big creature that might be wrecking your day is. But you also want to have your condemns and your swords to plowshares for the same reason. Because when you're talking about a hundred card pile, you never know when you're going to get that one single card out of your deck. So it's good to have a couple different copies of repeated effects that are pretty important to have. You know, targeted kill spells, wrath effects, ramp effects, draw effects. These kind of uh, categories, it's good to have multiple versions of. What was our favorite card that we keep talking about that we keep forgetting? Uh, Andy Bentley's Grave Pact. Yeah. If you don't have a grave, I mean, if you have a Grave Pact in a deck that needs that, why not also put Dictative Erebos in there? Because two for the well, price of one is Malachia. just as good, especially when you don't know for sure that you're going to get those cards. Because we're not stacking <laughs> the deck like, uh, like some you know sleight of hand magicians might. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and yep, and Sean mentioned Butcher of Malakir, which does the same thing as Dictate of Erebos and Grave Pact, but it's and on a big beater. A big old flying vampire, yeah. Uh Go on to, the redundancy David. thing, try and avoid putting abilities into your deck that play against your strategy. For example, mm -hmm. if you're playing a mill strategy, don't run cards like Days Undoing or Time Spiral that shuffle everyone's graveyards back into their deck. Yeah, like, <laughs> for instance, you guys all know that I've been working on my um, my negative one, negative one counters deck with uh, Hapatra. Well, when I was sitting there looking at cards to put in, I was thinking about putting uh, Corpse Jack Menace, who doubles the number of plus one, plus one counters, or some of the other carders. That, like, you know, when a creature comes to play, put a plus one, plus one on it. Plus one, plus one, and minus uh -huh. one, minus one negate each other. So if your deck is built around negative one counters, try not to just undercut yourself by making them super big with plus one counters. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Lessons were learned. <laughs> and, yeah, and to build on that, when I built my uh, Mariki Ribere deck, I basically searched for the keywords untap target. And mm -hmm. if it was in the colors that I needed, most of those cards went into the deck. Um, and before I knew it, like the, the deck came together really nicely. It took a while to tweak it, but it was remarkably easy to find those cards uh, and, and put them in the deck and have everything work. Did you find that, because um, I, I think all of us probably have built a deck early in our experiment with Commander, should we say, that we've tuned and sort of made vicious, but did you find the early versions of the deck still played really well and fun? Oh yeah, d definitely, definitely. Um, I, I had some friends help me with it, like just you know which cards were good and which cards weren't uh, uh, weren't good. Ooh. But the the deck itself, with the exception of maybe like one or two cards that have been released since I started playing, has largely stayed the same. Uh, there's you know creatures that tap and untap. There's uh, sorceries, instants, enchantments. Like there's tons of ways to to tap and untap. And I had played with her for for about a year and a half before someone even told me that you could interrupt the ability to untap her and you still get to keep what you've taken. So you can like untap and tap and keep what you've taken, steal something else, and do it two or three times, and build mm -hmm. your, build yourself an army with somebody else's stuff. And <laughs> it, it's it's also like a great Slow, slow, mind you, but a great board wipe as well. <laughs> Very like slow. 
Well, it's because like well, so. basically, if you're stealing everybody's creatures, like you know, if someone targets you, you know, unnecessarily, you just tap and untap a bunch of times, steal all their stuff. They now have no more creatures. So those are fine examples of both synergy, where you can interrupt the untap and and you don't have to complete the uh, sacrifice part of that, and redundancy because you're building a lot of untap effects into the deck. That's really cool. Um, one of the other considerations when you're building your deck, especially if you're building your deck for the first time, is you have to make sure you have enough land to, to, to play all of those fancy cards. <laughs> One of the things I always did um, build, starting out was I would short myself land because I was like, oh, I want to put all these really cool spells in. And that's just a way to lose every game and make sure that you don't see what your deck is supposed to do. So on this show, uh, former host uh, Nate Burgess suggested a formula that I now incorporate into all of my deck building. You start with a base of 30 lands, you add your commander's converted mana cost, and then you add the number of colors in the commanders. So let's say we're playing with, um, let's just say Prosh. Uh, and so Prosh is uh, no a reason. six converted mana cost. Right, no, no particular reason. <laughs> it's a six converted mana cost commander, so that's 30 plus six, so 36 lands, and there are three colors in Prosh, so you need three more. So by Nate's formula, you could put 39 lands in and be pretty safe that you'll be able to cast Prosh more or less on curve. Wow, that actually is Can a I... pretty good formula. Yeah. Can I add a counterpoint? No, yeah, a counterpoint to that. Um... I, for example, my Ailey deck, that would work out of 34 lands, which is not Far enough. too low. So my personal preference is I run 37 lands plus 10 pieces of ramp in every deck, and mm. all my decks run perfectly smooth. Now, if you're playing like I do, colors like red and white, which don't have a ton of ramp or really any at all, you can make up a lot of the ramp with uh, artifacts like Sol Ring or Basalt Monolith. But really, Lays you ramp, should err on the side of having more lands in those decks because you're just not gonna, you're just not gonna be able to ramp. So you need to have at least enough base lands in there to be able to make sure you can play. So one good thing to remember, built off of this land-based topic, is the fact that when you're building your deck, when you're picking the cards you want to put in it, don't think that you have a hundred slots to fill, because if you do that, you're gonna just pull way too many cards. <laughs> It's mm -hmm. better to think that, okay, I've got 60 cards or 59 cards because one is your commander, right? So I've got 59 card slots that I can build and then I've got about 40 plus or minus that I need awesome. to have for lands. That way you can much easier, you'll have a much easier time of figuring out what to put into your deck in terms of business cards, in terms of, you know, spells and sorceries, whatnot. And you will also just put yourself into a corner where, you get into these weird decisions like, do I want the Wrath of God or do I want this extra mountain? Because you're going to think you want the Wrath of God, but believe me, having a Wrath of God sitting in your hand that you can't play is pretty much worse than not having the Wrath in your deck at all. It is because it's taking up a slot in your hand. And so it's, it's miserable. Two, two for one in itself. Um, so my personal thing is I run 37 lands, 10 pieces of ramp, 10 cards now that doesn't necessarily dedicate card draw but allow you to draw cards uh whether that's as a enter the battlefield from a creature like or leave the battlefield like a solemn simulacrum or something because you can't play commander if you don't have lands and you can't play commander if you don't have any cards in your hand well both card draw and land bases are topics that we can spend an entire show on 
Unless you're playing red white, at which point you don't have any card draw and you don't have any to be you. It would be a very short show. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get on with actually playing your decks, right? So now you've selected your commander, you've built your deck for the first time, or you're you're driving one of the precons, and uh, now you really you want to you want to take it ideally to victory, right? So the first thing is to know what your deck does, right? <laughs> And knowing all the cards in it is different from knowing what your deck does. <laughs> this is way more important than you think it is. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I figured something out actually playing my deck, like the third or fourth time, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't work the way I thought it did. So we recommend you play your deck a few times, more than a few, several times, get used to how it plays, and... Uh, this is the level up moment. You'll have about your fourth or fifth game in. You'll realize that every time you play your deck, it plays differently. And 100 cards, it turns out, offers a lot of room for exploration when it comes to, you know, <laughs> just your A themes, your B themes, because you've built them in. You just don't maybe recognize what those are yet. Yeah. And one of the things you'll notice is that when you're putting your deck together, you might think that, oh, I've got these two cards and they're going to be an amazing combo together. I'm super excited for it. Like, for instance, you know, Brea plus some kind of bounce or something like that. But when you've got a hundred cards in there, the chances of you getting that specific two card combo every time, pretty low. Unless you build a Pretty lot of low. redundancy. So you better get used to the fact that, oh, what did these other three cards do when they're just sitting next to each other that you had no idea would have any interaction at all, but suddenly either do something amazing or just tank your entire deck. So Yeah. So, um, someone once told me Thousand Year Elixir was a great, uh, an amazing card to have with uh, Mercury Bray. I, I can't tell you how often I don't see that card. It, it go, It's weeks sometimes in between plays before I actually yeah. <laughs> before I actually draw it. Yeah. I had to check with my Dragon Lord Silumgar deck that I actually still owned a copy of Expropriate. Because <laughs> I knew it was in there, but just never saw it. <laughs> you can go weeks without seeing it. Sometimes you put a card in that you think like, wow, this card's gonna make all the difference and then it you'd never see it. You'd never see it. It's very disappointing. EDH is very different from those smaller card decks in a lot of ways, and that is probably the biggest one. Yeah, because all of those uh, other formats are putting, usually they'll put four ofs of the important cards, and so they're, they, they're guaranteed consistency. And we only get consistency if we put a lot of tutors in our decks, but as we all know and agree, tutors are evil. Um, well, and also, kind of, you don't want a, you don't want a commander game to be too consistent. There's no fun in that. Why are you playing with a hundred cards if you only care about two? I, I agree with Shiva on that one hundred percent. Like the whole point of playing commander is that you've got a million cards you really, really want to play, and they all come up randomly and show up and do all sorts of awesome different things together. If you're just yeah. like, I'm going to grab my Blood Artist and I'm going to grab my Viscerous here and my, you know, whatever, whatever, and just like combo off and win. Okay, well, congratulations. The rest of us are going to actually play Commander now. <laughs> yeah. Now, longtime listeners know that we're sort of tweaking Sean's nose a little bit here. Um, <laughs> because this has been an ongoing debate for well over a year. My goodness, we're almost three years into this. It's well over two years. And it's worth mentioning now. And here's a little special uh, community call out, if you will. Sean, 
you're going to be guesting on a show, aren't you, to have this very debate with the hosts. I am. I'm going to be, in fact, it may already be out by the time you hear oh, yeah. this. You won that debate. <laughs> Obviously, I crushed them. Crushed them. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I'm not even sure they're a podcast anymore. I haven't checked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be on the excellent Brothers War podcast with uh, Ryan and AJ and now CJ. Congratulations for becoming the third host on there. It's um, talking about the the gloriousness that is tutors and how to tutor responsibly and how to not be that guy yet still use tutors effectively. I have some strong opinions and... All you green players that tutor for your lands, but then turn your nose up at the black players because oh, they tutored for whatever they want. Well, okay, you take everything that searches out of your deck out, and I'll take the tutors out of mine. I have sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole of anger. Um, (laughs) So, listeners, hopefully, you uh, go listen to that show. I have no idea at this point what number that show is, but um, the Brothers War and Sean will be a very interesting must-listen show. So go tune in. So on what my deck does, can I give a piece of advice? If you build a new deck, you've put you know a couple of hundred bucks into it, and it appears to not be winning. <laughs> and winning is something that you want to do, because it's not always what everyone's trying to achieve in Commander. You feel, oh my god, I've wasted $200 on a pile of cards that just don't work. Stick with it. Tweak just a few cards. One or two cards here or there might suddenly unlock the magic that's hidden with inside the deck. You might not have realized how the deck should win. With my Lazav deck, now gentlemen, what? how does Lazav win? A typical Lazav deck. Milling you to hell and back. Mills people out. Right. That's the standard answer, the one I was hoping you would say. So my Lazav deck didn't do anything until I worked out what I have to do is mill the player with the best creatures in their deck, mm-hmm. equip Lazav up with uh, some quality bits of uh, equipment to make him very Vorfossi and powerful, and then use politics to keep the other player on side whilst I do that. <laughs> that's some politics. <laughs> Oh, it works. Easier than you think. Phil's seen it with his own eye. (laughs) Yeah, it works. It's uh, regrettable, but it does work. Sean, you really know your strategy, and that's to mill, right? And it is very uh, kind of commander-centric, and these are all factors that new players need to consider, too. Is your your theme, is your strategy commander-centric, or is it basically good stuff? And you uh, might have started kind of good stuffy, but you're definitely focused on mill, and it's all geared toward making sure big creatures go in your opponent's graveyards and Lazav becomes one of them. Do you know what my favorite moment is? When the person I'm milling laughs at me because they've flipped an Eldrazi Titan into the yard and reshuffled their deck back in. <laughs> and they go, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, yeah, he still hits the yard before the trigger happens. That's though, right. Oh, which no. means my commander is now an indestructible, hexproof Ulamog. enjoy the annihilator oh i hate that mechanic (laughs) i love annihilator annihilator is brilliant (laughs) you want to know what your deck does by knowing the strategy know what you're going to do after you play it a few times and 
uh, then figure out what your plan of attack is. And usually that's draw cards and cast something pretty uh, or tutor for the combo pieces. And we provide that as an option here because a lot of people are going to do that. And I think once you get to know your deck and become more confident in playing it, you don't need to tutor as much. You still probably want to tutor for a couple of things. Um, and um, and if you're playing in a very combo-heavy meta, you definitely want to be tutoring for those pieces. So, If you're in a non-tribal deck, you want to try to have as many cards that play to that strategy, either by synergizing with it or being redundant to it. Um, like about 10 to 20 cards is pretty much what you need. And if you're going with multiple paths to victory, like an A plan, a B plan, a C plan, etc., then you probably want to have clusters of cards. It's this one as well as an entire show topic, but just understand you want to have as much related to your strategy and your plan as possible in your deck. Now, Phil, I'm reading this, and you say non-tribal deck. I don't understand what that means. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, for some for some players, uh, they play only tribal decks so that their theme and strategy are essentially the same. You might mm. play a deck that is only, say, soldiers or elves or dragons, right? Especially with the new C-17 deck for dragons. And that means that you have a lot of cards in there that enhance that particular tribe over other tribes. There are a bunch of generic uh, enhancers, and we have spent a bunch of time talking about that, too. Um, like, I uh, feel like this is where I put in the meme picture, all I do is tribe. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I understand that there are other themes in uh, Commander. Like, for instance, uh, Melek, or uh, there's a lot of spell-heavy decks you can make. And it's just good when you're starting to just sit there and think, okay, my deck's theme my deck's idea is this. How does this deck win? What am I supposed to do to try to get this to win? And, um, for instance, my soldier's deck ended up actually being more of a Voltron battalion deck than a soldier's deck because it's very easy for all of your little 1-1 one -one tokens to get wiped out a million times, but it's very <laughs> hard to kill an indestructible, you know, 7-7 seven, seven commander. So it ends up being that, like, yeah, I do a lot of token spamming, but my deck's actual win condition is the fact that I've got an indestructible beater with a lot of swords that he's walking down and just hitting you in the face with. So Yeah, the, the tokens are almost for show. Yeah, which is why they're all, like, awesome and custom and pretty. <laughs> Shivam, <laughs> mm -hmm. when you're talking about winning, uh, when you first started playing, how, how long did it take you to actually win your first game? Actually, win that's a good question for everybody. my first game of Commander? Yeah. Uh, well, it took me... God, it must have taken at least 10 games or something. Like, my deck lost a lot when I first started because it was more like just putting in all of my favorite cards that I really wanted to play or cards that were thematically cool but maybe not effective in-game. And every time I would lose, I would take a card or two out. Like, a card that sat dead in my hand for six or seven turns, I would pull it out and I'd try putting something else in. And the more and more I did that, every time I would play would be trimming a card, trimming two cards, adding a couple of cards. And then by the end of it, I actually had something that was a good mid tier could win maybe 50% of the games or something like that, that I played, uh, maybe 20% of the games, not 50%, but like, you know, maybe like, maybe like huge. one out of every four games or something I could get away with winning. And the other times I would actually present a good game. It wouldn't just be getting rolled. 
And that's one of the things you have to do. The more you play your deck, the more you can actually see which parts of your cards and which parts of your theme actually work and which parts are really just more cute than functional. I think something you've just said there, Shiam, is a really good beginner point as well. We've said it on the show in other episodes before, but if you win in a four-player regular group a quarter of all of your games, you are doing really well. Well, you're doing average, aren't you? But some people would say, well, I've only won one-fourth of all my Magic games. In other formats, that's pretty terrible. In Commander, that's good. Like, let's be... I mean, winning is really hard to do in Commander. Winning consistently, if you're not playing a really top-level, high-end, just kind of unfun deck, is really hard to do. But the thing is... If you're going into Commander with the objective of, I need to win every game or I'm not going to have a good time, then no, you're not going to have a good time. Because for me, the real joy of Commander is all of the stuff you're doing in between. All the neat combos, the neat tricks, doing Itali triggers, you know, stuff that is going to eventually win because you want to win. I mean, that we're playing a competitive game, but, but that shouldn't be the only happiness that you're trying to pull out of Commander. <laughs> It's very true. It's very true. If you want to try to win, there are other formats. Like, play them. Might I recommend Vintage? <laughs> there are even some competitive commander formats, so go back to the last episode and listen to the discussion on that. Before we leave the tribal thing entirely, I did a quick look up, and way back in episode 20 and 21... Wow. Yeah. We cover some tribal shenanigans that we were working on, in particular where it was a run-up to Halloween. Um, and then uh, we also discuss it a little bit in uh, episode 74, our big tokens based on opponent's cards. Now you know what your deck strategy and what your deck plan is, what your deck type is. If you have tribal decks, like Shivam has all tribal decks. Um, now you have to know what your interactions are, right? And um, so basically that comes down to how are your, your various cards interacting and most of the time your commander is central to the entire, uh, the entire strategy, right? Especially for new players, they build around their commander if they're not doing good stuff strategy, which is, you know, good cards of any type. So now you have a Leovold example, don't you, David? Uh, yeah, actually, I was just thinking it. Um... A while ago when Conspiracy 2 came out, uh, I'm not sure which one of your decks it was, but you were talking about Leovold and how you could you know, lock the, the, the board at you know, turn four. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds kind of fun. Let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> that was the no, wrong we lesson. Were, it wasn't a deck. That was the it wrong was the lesson watch to list. take. Well, 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 hold on. Hold on. It gets, it gets better. It gets better. So I actually I, I went online. And I, I put Looking together into the, the deck. mind of a mad genius. <laughs> you, know, you, know what, you know what card you can put into Leovold? Kira, great glass spinner. <laughs> <laughs> Works great. <laughs> so, so I went online and I put the deck together and, and I brought it and it elicited a few groans and I thought it was just because of the, uh, you know, what Leovold does. But what I didn't understand was the, what Leovold does in conjunction with Teferi's puzzle box. I didn't, <laughs> oh, God. I, I didn't Why did understand. you do that? I, I thought at the end of that they got to get a, they got to keep a card. I didn't realize they got to have no cards. Yeah. And and after I played with it, like I'm just I'm I had it out in turn four, like it was a it was a great game for me. But I'm sitting there watching everybody else, 
and oh, it was miserable. <laughs> Leopold like, and Teferi's puzzle box is maybe the single most miserable combination of cards I've ever played against in Magic. And I've played against things like uh, Smokestack. You know, like this is just the worst. Po- I mean, I, mm. I distinct, I distinctly remember yeah. thinking to myself, "How is this any fun for anybody?" And uh, it got to the point where I was only allowed to play the deck once a month. <laughs> so the mistake you made, David, when you listened to us talk about it, is we weren't brewing a deck. We were talking about Leovold on the watch list and saying this is why he should be banned. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking well, about the most, the worst single ex- experience of Commander I've ever had. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, it, it's it's terrible. Yeah, and it, it, it I, was it wasn't even fun for me. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> uh, by the way, there's another. If you don't, if Leovold's banned and that's your jam, you can run to ferry. Um, Archmage, the non-Planeswalker <laughs> one, and just shoot for Knowledge Pool, and it does exactly the same yeah. thing. Wait, what does Teferi <laughs> Turn, do? Turns out Teferi Teferi's plus Knowledge Pool and Teferi's Tefer- Puzzle Box. Well, yeah, it's another Teferi card. So Teferi says your opponents can only play spells at sorcery speed. Yeah. Um, and Knowledge That's very Pool... important. Knowledge Pool says whenever anyone casts a spell... Uh, they put it into the knowledge pool and then cast a different spell from cards stored in the knowledge pool. Mm. So everyone kind of chucks their cards into the pool and then casts a random spell from within it, not the one. But because you've cast a spell at sorcery speed, the second spell that will cast out of the knowledge pool casts at instant speed because the stack is still active, which means they can't (laughs) cast any spells. (laughs) Oh, God. Where do you come up with what? these? N- knowledge that pool was... is a black hole when Teferi is out. What the yeah, hell? It's, uh, only because the, te- the Teferi player can cast all these spells like he has Flash, because that's another thing that Teferi does. Yeah. Um, he is unaffected by Teferi, only affects opponents, so he can cast spells, nobody else can. Yeah. So, listeners. But I played, <laughs> sorry, I played, where I got that from is I I played against a listener of our show, a patron, maybe not a patron, a listener of our show called Jesse that went uh, to ferry, uh, turn two or turn three or whatever it was because he'd ramped a bit with rocks, uh, acquire, what, not acquire, what, fabricate, then knowledge pool. And I was like, all right, was that as fun for you as it was for us? Like, <laughs> great. Right, you so did Leovold without Leovold. Go these you. Uh, these combos are, I mean, yeah. If you're in a combo heavy meta, sure, you have to go for it. But if you're not, and especially if you're like going out to a game store or something, as a new player, you're going to be tempted to bring your most ruthless and vicious decks. But trust us, don't do that. You just become that person at the table who has no consideration for the others, and um, because you're not playing with friends, you're playing with strangers. I personally, if it was a stranger doing that, would have no moral qualms about just wrecking your evening too. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're not a friend and you've come to wreck my evening. It's like, all right, gloves are off. (laughs) Also, can we uh, mention some of the kind of unwritten ground rules of Commander? Like, it's really, really just considered rude to bring mass land destruction 
Because mass land destruction means people can't play. And as we were saying, the whole point of Commander, if you're sitting there for four hours in a multiplayer game, is to be able to play your decks. So please, please leave those Armageddons at home, especially if you're going to do something like, you know, I don't know, ultimate your Elspeth and make all your lands indestructible at the same time. Maybe let's not. Asterisk there. Unless you're playing Atali, use all the mass land destruction in Atali. Atali is awesome. All of it. I'm, I just found my flash fires, by the way. Um, so, I'll boil and flash fire. So now, now oh that brings us nicely to you're in the uh, oh you're in the analysis portion <laughs> of the of the evening, um, or you're you're sitting back and you're kind of figuring out what went wrong. So after you've played, you want to figure out, you probably lost your first couple of games like we were talking about. It took me, I think, three months before I, I, I won a, a game of Commander. Um, this and... didn't happen to me, by the way. I, this problem you and Shivam have just no, never happened to me. Well, I, I had taken a 17-year a, a break before getting back in and getting in through Commander. <laughs> So I was a little bit rusty and still trying to figure out what creatures did because all of a sudden creatures were good. Um, mm. Yeah, so listeners, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what went wrong, right? And uh, David, I think you put this best when you asked the question, am I a player or a spectator? There, there's been quite a few games where I've played where like things just aren't going my way. And... I'm. I have no board state. Uh, I'm not playing spells. Uh, I'm getting, you know, mana screwed or, or you know, mana flooded, and I find that everyone's attacking everybody else or they're doing things to everybody else's board, and I have done nothing to yep. impact the outcome of the game at all. Uh, and it's games like that 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 make me feel really bad, only because like I want to play. I, I want to play really, but I want to do something to other people as well. And that's that's a, a time like is it the deck was it the shuffle because sometimes you do get a bad shuffle right like you know you're, you've got like five lands on top or, or you know no lands uh, until your twentieth draw, but if it if it's consistent, then there's a problem with either how you've built the deck or or what's in the deck. Yep. One of the first things you should always check is do I have enough lands. Because chances are, if you're sitting there spectating, you might not actually have enough lands in your deck for the type of deck that you're trying to run. I got into an argument with somebody once because um, I just I wasn't drawing any lands. Like they were they were all just mysteriously shuffled near the bottom somewhere, and and he said, "Well, you need more card draw." And and I looked at him. I said, "Well, why do I need more card draw if I'm not drawing the cards I need?" And, and I understand card draw is important, but he didn't quite seem to understand that the conundrum I was in wasn't that I wasn't drawing cards. I wasn't drawing the cards I needed. And like it goes it goes both ways, I think, that yes, you need card draw, but he, he, I don't think he understood the, the percentages that are involved in a game of commander where like you've got like a, a one in you know 97 chance, 93 chance, like however many cards are left in your library. Of, of drawing that card and, and sometimes it just does not work out for you and he just didn't understand that that was a game where I just wasn't drawing any lands um, and to have someone criticize me because like it's a Baral deck and there's tons of card drawing it and he just didn't seem to understand that this game I was just getting hosed I wasn't getting what I needed mm. yeah one of the things I like to do when I'm when a game goes wrong for me, and especially <laughs> if it's not because of um, land, uh, you know, be, being 
it's not because I was short on land or anything like that. I like to do after action reports with the uh, table where I say, how can I make this deck better? Mm. And I've, I've asked that numerous times mm. where I, I just take the, the library, turn it over and start going through it and assuming, you know, people are willing to do it and we're not shuffling up for a next game. I don't just go, whoa, 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 we're going to look at my deck now. <laughs> um, and and so it's good to have a group. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. It's good to have a group where you can you ask. You sit down. <laughs> and let's yeah. be honest. Sit most down. Most Magic players love looking at decks and giving their unsolicited thoughts. So when you're yeah. actually giving a solicited thought, it's it makes people feel good. People like to help other people work out their decks. And in Commander, somebody might have a random obscure card you've never heard of from, say, Mercadian Masks or something. And then it'll be like the perfect card that you would have never seen. And you know what podcast is great for hearing random obscure cards? Commander's Brew. Anyway, we'll come on to that later. Sorry. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, but one thing is also important is uh, sometimes when you're looking at your game and you realize that you didn't do a whole ton, you should try to think about like percentages of cards. Like for instance, sometimes in uh, one of the some of my green decks, which are based on like you know land ramping or doing like land folly type things, I realized that I had so many uh, ramp cards like rampant growth and cultivates and whatnot that I had more of those than I had basic lands to actually pull out of the deck. So I ended up just screwing myself because I would grab every card and then I would have a ton of cards that did redundant land draw that didn't actually do anything, and so. Um, the, until you actually play the deck and see it, it's hard to see that your percentages just might not be right. Right, right. Also, that's super embarrassing, by the way, having like <laughs> six <laughs> rampant growths in your hand and no lands in your deck. I think you need to be careful, though, who you're asking for advice. Some people do give not great advice. Well, I mean, that's just, like on yeah. Twitter, recently, a conversation I was involved with. Actually, with uh, the Brothers War podcast, we were talking about Alesha, who smiles at deaf decks. Someone in that conversation was insistent, insistent, that Solemn Simulacrum is a bad card in Alesha, who smiles at deaf. <laughs> that person is objectively wrong. What? I know. That's basically, I, I got all on my, I activated my inner fill, and I was just like, no, no, there's no matter of opinion, extra ramp what? and card draw repeatable for virtually free is never bad i mean sad robot is good in like most decks deck. let alone just but alesha decks. gets it back every turn wow now i'm mad too anyway but yeah so some people will give bad advice yeah be careful who you ask it's good to ask the table it's one of the reasons i started asking the entire table because this way if somebody is like you should definitely take solemn simulacrum out of your deck i'm Somebody else at the table is like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you like my voices tonight. That's the voice I imagined he had as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded a bit like Gandalf. So. Solemn <laughs> simulacrum. A solemn simulacrum is never late. So <laughs> you want to ask yourself. Die, think, you fools. Um, before um. you get into tuning your deck, you want to ask yourself, why are you playing, right? Why am I playing, mm. Phil? Am I playing casually or competitively? And David, this was this was all you. This, you came up with this. It was brilliant. So why don't you go into it a little bit? Uh, for me, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about casual. Uh, I don't want to 
Um, I, I had to make a decision early. Did I want to invest the time to become competitive and, and to go online and search for cards and search for decks? Uh, it, it just, the games played was more important than the outcomes of the games. Um, and as a result, I found that I, I enjoyed it far more than any of the competitive games I've ever played. So, like, yes, it means that sometimes my decks, uh, you know, aren't up to par with other people's decks, um, you know, and I've come to accept the fact that if I'm playing certain people with certain decks, then I'm not, I'm not going to win. I'll have a good time, but I'm not going to win, and I'm okay with that, unless, of course, it's the guy playing Winter Orb or Vorinclax. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you've had experience with stacks. Oh, yeah, well, now that I know what they're called, yes. A winter or whatever <laughs> but but what i've also found is that like the more games i've played uh the better i get because i'm noticing what's happening uh i notice the 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 graveyard deck wants to bring stuff out of the graveyard so eventually okay i've, I've got a, my next deck or the deck i'm playing now needs to have some graveyard uh sh- you know hate in there uh or if people are playing things uh without casting them like there's you know counter spells things like that so it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, e- even if you're playing casually, you can still get better. It just takes longer. Mm. So, David, <laughs> are you aware of what's commonly referred to as 75% theory? Yes, I am. Yeah, so I think what you're describing is that. So listeners that don't know, uh, presumably we have some new players listening to this episode. 75% theory was an idea created by... Uh, Jason E. Alt of uh, numerous podcasts fame, uh, but notably yeah. Brainstorm Brewery. He's a friend regular, of our show, too. Friend of our show, regular guest on the show, and a salty, salty man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but that's the... You don't need to... If 100% is cutting-edge Super Spike deck, you should roll a good, in inverted commas, commander deck back to about 75% take your efficiency back on a lot of spells and that way the deck will actually be better because of numerous reasons one it will interact more with the game two it'll be more fun to play with three it will probably win more games because it will get hated a lot less uh and i guess four it's probably a bit cheaper to build a 75 percent deck because instead of mana drain you can just put in counter spell can't you definitely yes and and <laughs> I, I find most of my decks um, are built with just cards I have lying around and then they get tweaked from there. Uh, so like, for instance, like my, my black fun stuff deck is really just lots of black fun stuff, you know, big creatures, you know, demons, vampires, like you name it. But over time, I've just added a few cards as they've come out, uh, only because I don't have the, 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 the free money that most people seem to have. I, I play I play with a lot of young kids that are still living at home and haven't experienced bills yet. So it seems that they they're they're able to get the, the, the foil cards that they need where I've just gotta settle with like the regular plain non shiny ones. Well, I've foiled out a deck recently which you said, Oh, I wouldn't do that. I was like, Well, but it's my baby <laughs> And my Lazav deck, there are a couple of cards in there that I could sell and buy a whole deck with. But you yeah. know, and uh, Adam Staborski loves his deck, his Farika deck, so much that he's foiled it out, except for the one card I think that doesn't exist in foil. Basalt monolith. <laughs> it's just a way. Uh, it might be. It's just a Is way it... to 
really kind of express yourself with this. But um, so so back to am I playing ca- casually or competitively? You kind of need to know whether or not you're doing that. And if you're if you're playing casually, you build a seventy five percent deck, and it's worth checking out Jason Alt's article on that from uh, two thousand fourteen, I think. The other trick is if you're just like me and a bad deck builder to begin with, most of your decks will end up being (laughs) seventy five percent by default, or sixty percent if you're lucky, or forty percent if you're lucky. And so that that's wonderful to know if you're the type of player who has to win like is winning important to you or is it just playing the game like if if you can carry off both that's wonderful but most of us are just playing to play the game right if you can entrap somebody like say if you're a demir player and (laughs) and you you just like your joy comes from watching other people suffer you need to know that about yourself and then you'll build your decks a lot better and accordingly because of it. My joy is beating people with their own decks. It's it different. Is. I was actually yes, just going to suggest that because one of the best ways I've learned about how to, what my deck does and what the cool things of how you should play it is like I've had friends come over and I've given them my decks and asked them to play against me. And when I see them in somebody else's hands, sometimes it helps to helps me understand oh, this is the order that these cards would be better in than the way I've been playing it. Or, hey, if I don't just throw all my lands away immediately, then maybe I can survive long enough to win. And <laughs> it's been really just so helpful to see, like, my. it's like when you're writing and you finish your first pass and you hand it to an editor who then goes over and rereads it and then, you know, offers their commentary. It's the same way with yeah. uh, deck building. When you build your deck, you play it a few times, then you hand it to one of your friends and ask them to... Try to thrash you with it, and you end up learning a whole ton about what your deck does when you're watching it from the other side. It's it's also important to play people who you deem are better than you as well, uh, yes. or, or more experienced. Better better is subjective, I guess. Uh, I I regularly play with people who have far more experience than me. It seems they've memorized every single card from like you know alpha right up to current, and I, I find I have a better time with them because they're helping me become better. Uh, they're they're pointing out missed triggers, or more importantly, they're pointing out misplays where I should have you know played this first, then done that, or you know get rid of that card. That card shouldn't be you know in your deck. Use this card, and and I find the people I play with um, help me improve far more than just casual like you know playing you know at my table with my kids or or, or my wife. Uh, I don't think if I was just a kitchen t- kitchen uh, table magic player, I don't think I'd be anywhere as good uh, or as well rounded you know, now as, as I would be if I was in that scenario. That's a, an amazingly good piece of advice. You're only as good as the people you play against. Um, I do it in all war gaming. I do it in Warhammer 40k as well. So if I go to a tournament, like I look at who the best quote unquote players in the room are and say, right, I want to play them guys. Um, and in Warhammer 40k, it's normally always guys before someone cracks my gender. Um, but you will learn more being beaten by them than you will beating someone else whose skill level is way lower than yours. Right. Yeah. And, and if I could point out one more thing as well, if you're going to lose, uh, and it's inevitable, we're all going to lose, it's really important to lose gracefully. Um, like, because <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a few people in my play group that, that sometimes feel they're being targeted, but it's only because they know how to play their deck uh, better and it's tweaked and it does what it needs to do 
but when when they get targeted over and over and over again they start not having fun and and they kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve and it's important like to understand you know number one why they're targeting you but it's also important to understand like if you're going to lose like at least do it with a smile on your face don't sulk don't don't get all grumpy about it uh you know don't flip the table <laughs> yeah and don't don't scoop because you learn a lot when your deck is collapsing and it's very important that you understand how your deck behaves and how you behave, frankly, under all of these circumstances, right? Okay. It's one thing to play through when you're winning. It's one thing, one thing to play through when the outcome is uncertain. But it's another thing entirely to play when you know you're losing <laughs> and it's inevitable. Right. You learn an awful lot doing that. On the scooping issue, uh, all four of us are experienced commander players, I would suggest... How many games have you thought, well, I could scoop now, haven't, and then gone on to win that game? <laughs> it happens yeah. more happened to than you many think. times. For, yeah. for me, zero. If I scoop, I, I know I'm losing. Well, I mean... No, but don't scoop. For for me, in my situation, like because I work from home, it, it for me, it's definitely quantity over quality. And, and I want to get in as many games as I can rather than like you know being a spectator and just you know waiting for someone to knock me out yeah fair uh okay but uh, can i can i just have a a slightly contentious point to that if someone else is about to combo out and like they've got their deck they finally set up the combo it's maybe a four or five card combo or three or four they're hitting magical christmas land and their opponent just goes oh i scoop you're denying your opponent that piece of the game that pleasure of watching their deck do its thing you're taking something away from them that you probably wouldn't want taken away from you uh i, I guess it, i guess it depends i've there's uh, one of the guys i play with has a a tasted deck uh and, and i think i've mentioned this before like if you even look in his direction he'll just start taking his tokens off and exiling your things and, and getting rid of your board state so I've, you know, I always come in second and, you know, I'll say, okay, I've killed him. I've killed him. And as soon as I look at him, he's going to do all this and win. So I scoop you in. And in- Well, then he's won a different game though. He's won the politics game there. Well, it may be political, but it's also, you know, fact-based. Like, because I know for a fact in my hand, there's nothing I can do to prevent him from wiping my board. And at that point in time, he wins. No, but earlier in the game, the whole table should be... If he's that much of a threat and it's not political, it's fact-based, earlier in the game, you should all be dealing with him. Well, yes. So scooping scooping in response to what looks like an unwinnable condition is excellent for an experienced player, but not for a new player. No, I understand that. Um but in there are times where I've been salty and, you know, okay, he's got the winter orb. I can't play anymore. So I might as well just scoop and go play another game where I actually can play. And that's, that's just being a little bit grumpy, uh, going against my own advice. I, I generally, I generally don't, but if it's unwinnable, we'll all look at each other and agree. Okay. He's got this combo. He wins. Cause he's going to do this. His deck still, you know, we we're all agreeing that his deck does it. We're just, I'm not scooping, you know, before he has a chance to get his pieces together. Like, I won't, I won't scoop if I think something's going to happen. I'll scoop when I know it's going to happen because he's got his combo out. Listeners, that's the flip side of the, um, uh, 
you know, playing those cards and being that person at the table. If you're the person who is oppressing everybody and preventing untaps from occurring and all sorts of horrible things like that, this is the reason you don't do that. Because everything David just said about it being basically a miserable experience is true. So you don't play, uh, especially as a new player, you don't want to play the... You know, the Vorinclexes, the Winter <laughs> Orbs, the Smokestacks, uh, all of those things. So, um, but in general, it's much better for a new player to kind of stick it out and, you know, see how the game plays. But, you know, if somebody casts a Winter Orb on turn two, that's going to be a miserable game. Yeah. So. And one of the things is I maybe lean even heavier casual than a lot of people. Like, if I'm playing against somebody and they, you know, draw their first opening hand, no lands, they mull it, they draw another one, and we get down to, like, uh-oh, they're going to be down to, like, five cards. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Just pull seven cards back. It's fine. This is casual. I just want to play, and I would rather you be able to play than you sit there and me have such a gross advantage over you that the game is just going to end quickly. And similarly, if we're playing a game and, like, you know, the first handful of turns when you would expect something to happen and nothing is happening and a couple of people are just sitting there stalled and I would be like, you know what, guys? Why don't we just uh, start over? Because, frankly, I treat Commander a little bit more like board gaming in that it's more like the object is for all of us to sit and play and try out our decks and do fun things. And if we're just sitting there and you're just like, having a miserable time because you can't do anything, then I feel that I have failed in my objective for all of us to leave the table happy. Yeah. So uh, another way of doing combos gracefully, if you're doing them very quickly, uh, for example, I was using my Brea deck, and on turn four, I could play out a combo with uh, Nim Deathmantle, etc., that allowed me to infinitely damage the table. I showed my opponents the hand. I said, right, I can do this. I'm not going to do it. But just say, like, the game ends now. Do we want to play a new game? Or I just won't do it and we'll continue playing. Um, and, you know, just be gracious in in comboing out, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. The other flip side of that is that we've had people do two-card infinite loop combos like Niv-Mizzet, Mines, uh, Aphidian Eye, or Curiosity. Where they've gone like turn five, right? Niv it's already out because of ramp. Put a Fidian eye on him, and it's like, cool, you win. We're all going to continue playing the game. You put the kettle on. <laughs> Mine's milk and two sugars. <laughs> so, so David, one of the one of the core questions you asked, um, it was, how can you become a better player when you don't have the time? or the resources available that others do, right? And I think this entire section of the of what will quickly become a three-episode series <laughs> is, um, uh, is the answer to that, right? You have to know whether or not winning is important to you or, or if playing the game is important to you. Are you playing casually or competitively? Am I a spectator? Like, am I having an impact? Do I know what my deck does? And... You can always ask the table for advice and uh, people will start recommending things to you right away. Thank you, David, for coming for this second episode. And, and you are you are actually getting much more than you bargained for. How about <laughs> Tell that? Tell me about it. Um, you'll be back for a third episode. And in that one, we promise listeners we'll do uh, EDH Wrecked, Sean's uh, awesome new show the one that uh, new game show i suppose it is is it a game show or is it just a game just, what do you call just it a, 
game, I just guess. A game. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little salty. We can't do it now. I was really looking forward to it. It's a doozy of a commander. And we can't wait to hear it next time. <laughs> I can't tell you it now because you'll all go and cheat. Yes, indeed. She would. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll close that browser tab now. Shivam is, it's funny, listeners. Shivam is the nicest person <laughs> I have ever played Magic against. And like any of this is just totally against his character. It's incredible. <laughs> um,. <laughs> God, like i don't even have the energy to fight back man you gotta i know well, kicking a puppy when he's down <laughs> so uh listeners and shivam you rock Yay. and uh thanks for hanging out with us everyone and and uh david thanks for coming back uh second time and we look forward to the third time um, we might have a, a bit of a break before the third episode because we have some things lined up in the next couple of weeks, but, um, we'll see. We'll come back as soon as we can. Special thanks, of course, to our patrons who show their support like David by donating to us so we can keep on improving the show and doing more things. And each week we call out three of you. And this week we're calling out Andre Beshta. Daniel Gatowski and Adrian Emmanuel. Thank you for your pledges, everyone. Uh, Didn't, Daniel uh, Gatowski Daniel sounds like Gatowski. a police officer from a 1970s. Uh, no, he's procedural. a linebacker for the New England Patriots. Oh yeah, yeah. Or both. Hopefully he's, or or it could be <laughs> both. Yeah. So without your continued support, we could not do this show as we are. And uh, we get all sorts of fancy guests on, including professional magicians. Hmm. Maybe next time I'll uh, I'll go on video and show you guys a card trick. Oh. <laughs> if you send us a video, we will put it in the episode. Oh, okay. I'll do, I'll do that then. That would be super cool. Not going to lie. Awesome. If, yeah. You can show me how to get Soul Ring in my starting hand every game. Thumbs up. Well, yeah, just make sure that there's 60 soul rings in your deck. There you go. <laughs> David, do you want to take us out? You're getting uh, two guest shows in a row like this. Look at this. Oh, wow. Put on the spot again. Uh, Commander in, where we're already sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Go, Mandarin!